bones. About two decades ago, ago almost, uh, in downtown Denver, a ministry was formed called Dry Bones Denver, taking that concept from Ezekiel chapter 37, breathing life into bones that seem like they're no longer living. So a ministry was formed as an outreach towards street kids living in downtown Denver, a relational outreach. Uh, I interned for Dry Bones Denver over a decade ago in 2008, the summer of 2008. And that experience that summer changed a lot of my life, especially my philosophy of ministry. In fact, I sometimes tell people I was trained under dry bones, so that influences the way I view ministry, the way I view our community and our church because of my experience with dry bones. And someone that works for dry bones since 2002 is Robbie Goldman. Uh, Robbie has been the co-director and spiritual director of all spiritual life for the staff, for the street kids. And over the last decade, I have learned a lot from Robbie. In fact, I I confessed this to him last night. Uh, A lot of the things that I've heard him teach over the years, I've just straight up stolen from him and then reused in some of my own lessons because uh, his take on Scripture, uh, I, I really enjoy the way that he interacts with God's Word, but also there's just some reality behind it. Because I see not only is it just a a Bible study, but Robbie's living it out in the streets and he's experiencing what life is like lived in the margins where we found Jesus a lot of the times. And so Robbie has an opportunity to speak at different churches. And I met with Robbie this summer and I said, hey, next time you're in this part of Texas and like northeast, east Texas, you should come preach for us. And so we texted back and forth and he said he'd be here in September. I emailed the elders and we set it up and today is the day that Robbie is in Texas for this week. He's preaching in another church next Sunday and then headed back. He's got meetings all week long. And so we're blessed to have Robbie here. I'm excited to have him here. Uh, I think what he is going to offer for us today is a way for us to take our seven commitments, our mission, a little more serious. I, sent, I emailed Robbie our seven commitments back in July, and he's been looking at our seven commitments, our mission statement to make, mature, and multiply faithful followers of Jesus, and he's going to speak into that this morning from his experience in the streets of Denver and from his experience working with other churches who also have a mission and vision. So I want to invite Robbie up here. I'm going to say a prayer for him, and then I'm going to pass it on to him. So if you would, join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for Robbie. And for his life, that he, is, that he is living for you, Father, in the ministry that you've called him into. And I thank you that he's here today. Lord, I know that your spirit is with him, and I pray that you would use him this morning, give him the gift of preaching, use our church. Father, help us to hear what you have to say today. And I pray that you would take us a step closer into reaching our own community and living out our vision that you've given us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jody. It's good to be here. I am... Uh, uh, it's kind of a, a little bit of a homecoming. I get to come back to Texas, uh, being in Colorado for 16 years. So I, I guess I need to greet you from the Mile High City, and I do mean altitude, if you know what I mean. Uh, we uh, uh, we we get a lot of jokes being a mile high these days. So uh, it, it, it's real. It, it is. If you've not been up there, it's not just in the news. It's real. We have really big mountains. Well, what were you thinking? I'm not sure. I can't figure out what you're thinking there. But in 
quickly in 2002 when we moved there, um, when we started thinking about dry bones, we were wondering uh, that we really had no name when we moved there. There was not a, was not an, there was an idea, but we quickly realized we had no clue what we were doing. I mean, not many of us in our world would comprehend, you know, 2,300 young people between 12 and 25 living by themselves on the street of any city in our nation. But that's, what's, that's what we found. These are not young folks um, with family. They're by themselves. Um, the youngest friend of mine that I met was 10. And uh, within a year, he brought his uh, nine-year-old brother with him. And they had to make the choice. It was either, uh, well, their mom made a choice. It was either be with stepdad, husband, and not have children there or not have the husband. And she chose husband. And her two boys were quickly on the streets of Denver. Their choice was, do we go on the streets or do we get beaten every night? And so streets won again. And so it became pretty evident to me, as we walked along, that that scripture that Jody talked about with dry bones was, man, can these bones live? And man, they haven't lived very long at this point either. And as we started, we were pretty sure that we would talk about the dry bones, and, and, it, and we didn't want it to become an us and them thing. And so we hosted one of our first events. One of our first events that we ever hosted was in a pool hall. Sounds churchy, right? was in a pool hall downtown Denver that we were able to uh, rent and have the kids be able to come and feel comfortable and in a place that was non-threatening. And so we invited in these kids to come uh, shoot pool with us, hang out, just to get to know and figure out what's, what we could do. We had really no clue. And it was within the next week that when we were doing street outreach that these same young folks were coming up and said, Hey, Dry Bones, what's up? And I was like, I think you have that wrong. You're the dry bones. I'm not the dry bones. And then they were like, are, are, we gonna have, are you having dry bones again on Thursday night? No, you've got this wrong. We're ministering to you. You're the dry bones. It didn't last long that we really figured out that we were dry bones. Our bones were the ones that were dry. Our bones were the ones that were being brought to life. So we all were dry bones. And I couldn't other again. There was no us and them. It was just simply us. Um, these young people come to the streets for just a myriad of reasons. There, there's just, you can't name one, but uh, abuse of some sort is prevalent everywhere. Uh, right now, our ages aren't as young as we first started with. Uh, we don't have as many 12, 13, 14-year-olds on the streets anymore. Our city has gotten better uh, with helping these younger folks uh, find some place to be. Um, when you live in a major tourist town, um, unfortunately, image is what's first, and having a bunch of 14-year-olds walking around homeless in your town where you're hoping people spend millions of dollars doesn't play very well. Uh, and so that was an odd motivation, but it's okay because it helped get a lot of our younger kids in security. Um, in Denver proper, 
the downtown area, we have about 13,000 folks that are homeless. And at current, we have about 600 shelter beds. Those numbers don't add up, and we wonder why folks are seen sleeping on the streets when you have thousands of people. Now, of the 800 shelter beds, we have 80 that are designated for ladies. So 10%, just 80 beds. But our population of women that are homeless by themselves is about 45% of our homeless population. So around 5,000 ladies are by themselves. And we have 80 shelter beds. So that's hard in itself. But if you went out and looked, you don't see a lot of ladies, that many ladies out on the streets. And so what that entails you is these ladies are finding a place to sleep. And that's very disheartening because it's not always a healthy situation. So in those numbers, just with our kids down to the a few thousand that we have of the younger folks, the, the percentages play out the same. Uh, Denver has one of the highest um, human trafficking problems in our nation. And a lot of people don't think about this. This is not the Chamber of Commerce speech. You know, the city of Denver, would be, be, the mayor would be giving a little panic if he was like listening to me talk. And it's not all bad. These are just the things that are lying uh, because there's a lot of amazing things that are happening within our city as well. And so it was pretty quick for us to, to say, first of all, to admit we have no clue what to do. I, I've never been homeless. Um, even when I started, I was in my 30s there, and my physical appearance looked more like what a lot of our friends' abusers look like. You know, the... Uh, middle-aged white male was kind of who sent a lot of these kids to their streets. And so I was like, how do, how do we overcome these barriers of who we look like and what are we going to do with these kids? And yeah, we can choose a really hip pool hall. That was nice. And that gave a little bit, but that wasn't the complete thing. There was still something missing. Um, we called a lot of churches just to say, what do you, do you even know there are kids homeless? No. We have found one church that was taking sandwiches down once a month uh, and had, they were like, well, we ran, we, we did notice there was some young people that we just thought they were in school. And so it wasn't like churches were mean. It was just an, they weren't aware of what's going on. And so on the flip side, we asked kids that we talked to as we started getting relationships, like, have you ever gone to church? Well, yeah, we've been to church. But, uh, you know, they don't understand me. I don't fit in. Because you're homeless? No. It was before I was homeless. I just didn't feel right. Okay, we never could nail down exactly what it meant. And this was a variety of different types of faith communities. Um, we were there in 2002 and, and talking to a lot of folks, and uh, we met this group of guys that said, did you ever hear about those two guys, you know, the guys at Columbine? Yeah. It was pretty fresh on our mind. Well, we knew them. You did? How did you know them? Well, we were homeless, but they would come hang out with us. They did? Yeah, he said, the, the news doesn't have their full story. Well, what do you mean? Well, the, you know, those guys were, they were bullied. Well, the, the news report, they said, no, no, you don't understand. And, they, and these kids on the street were not making excuses for the way these two young men handled that. But they're like, no, you don't understand to the extent that they told us they're bullied. I said, well, what made you think, what, what's the difference? What, 
why didn't they come down here and do what they did in their school? Well, they were our friends. Wow. That was a, that was a side of this that I never thought. These two suburban uh, young men had made friends in a downtown area a few miles from their house with street kids. And when we started this building from that, we realized that there was something about this component on the streets that we had not figured out. But these kids had figured out something. It didn't take long before I was, was starting to be called dad. Oh, that's cool. You're kind of like a dad to me. You're kind of like a pastor. All these ideas. And, and uh, the guys I work with, Matt, he's younger, and so he always gets brother. I think I'm getting grandpa now, but at least he's getting dad now. So, uh, but quickly we realized that they called each other brother and sister. You couldn't tell if they were biological brothers and sisters or not. And they, they knew so much about each other as they moved through town. It was like, that's my sister. It's my, it's my little brother's birthday. That's my cousin. I'm like, okay, either you've got really messed up family or something else is going on. And they... They didn't exclude. It wasn't like, I mean, obviously, sometimes you have, like, you're not, he's 10 years older than you. He's not your dad, but you call him dad. Obviously, just make up the way you're ethnic. You're not his biological brother, but you couldn't tell it. Everybody belonged. We're like, well, who taught these kids that? Was it something they were craving? Did they crave family so much that they just like, I'm going to put some kind of family together because the family I had abandoned me. And we're like, that made sense. You know, they would put, start calling this other brother and sister, mom and dad, because they had been abandoned by those families. And so they were like, that has to be it. But then it seemed deeper than that. It wasn't just the idea to be able to call somebody brother or sister it meant something. In a sea of humanity, when these same kids could walk down the street and literally have people that they're walking down the street, and we have a, a mall that runs down the center of our town, and people move side to side. If they see some of my friends walking along, they walk up and they'll just move over. These are the same ones who, uh, one of my friends was flying a sign that said, anything helps, anything you need, and and a, a, a man and his small son walk up, and, and he sees the dad tell his son, son something, and he's standing there, and he's smiling at the young boy, and he walks up, and he just spits on my friend. He said, look, Daddy, I did what you said, and walks back. And my friend's standing there holding a sign with a four-year-old boy's spit on his leg. But then he turns, he said, but I, I talked to my brother's. I'm like, where does that, what in the world is going on? And we, we just kept probing this, and, and friendships kept growing, and things kept happening, and we're like, we got to figure out what we can do. And we thought there was going to be some kind of program or something would change. One of the first things we stumbled upon was a word, uh, unsurpassable. That was a cool word for us. We found a word that Paul used called lavished, too. That was kind of a neat word. We don't use some of these words in our English language. We, 
we, it's not that we don't act that way, but we don't use the word unsurpassable. Uh, and we realized really quickly that that's how God sees every human being. And so we were still looking at the others. We were still looking at the f- folks that are telling their children to spit on people and the folks that are moving side to side as our friends and then our friends trying to figure out what to move through and how to be. And we went, there's something in common with every person we're meeting. They all have unsurpassable worth and value. It didn't matter. So we really quickly said, we've got to figure out how to judge these people better. I've been growing up my whole life. They said, don't judge lest you be judged. And then I realized I was judged. I was judged by God. He judged me, and so I better start judging too because he judged me as unsurpassably worthy. He said, you have unsurpassable worth and value, Robbie. Go judge everybody the same way. So we said, what if we started figuring out if we could teach these young folks that they have worth and value? We could, what we say, ascribe that onto them. It's not something they have to earn or figure out if they get their, a shower once a week or if they get a job, then you'll have worth and value. Or if you look a certain way, then you'll have worth and value. No, the baseline root of you is worthy. That's the way God saw it. He saw it that way so that he sent his son to die for everyone, not just the ones that had cleaned up correctly. So we're going to start there too. Unsurpassable worth. And then we went, wonder how these kids have been loved. And you start talking real quickly, you see it's conditional. It's conditional on how you're loved. What, what does that matter? And how do you get in? Or can you bring enough, you know, do I get enough of this from you to, to respond with love and kindness towards you? No, that's not how God does it. God's love is unconditional. So what if we could explain to these kids that they have unconditional love? And so we did, for a couple of years, we gave out little Christmas presents. We made these little silver, pure silver coins. We had them stamped and made silver coins and gave them out to, for Christmas to, to every street kid we could find. And on the first one, it said, talked about dry bones on the back, had our logo. And then it said, you have unsurpassable worth on one side of it. The next year, we get one that said, you are unconditionally loved. And these kids carried it with them. We told them, like, look, you could go sell it. It's worth about 20 bucks. It's 20 bucks worth of silver. If you need $20, go to the pawn shop. They'll give you 20 bucks. It's silver. I don't know of one kid that's ever sold them. I do know of one young lady that sat in a courtroom. She was 20 years old, and she was losing custody of her children. She'd been homeless. And if you've ever been through this or seen it, it's, it's not a beautiful sight. Is she was contesting the losing her parental rights. She couldn't keep her kids, but she was contesting it. She was like, this will, at least I want to fight for my children. What happens is for the state to prove that you're not able to do parenting, they read into the record everything you've done wrong. So our children are one and two years old. When they turn 18, those are public records. And everything she did wrong, every positive drug test, every missed appointment, everything of why the state says you cannot be a mother, you're not worthy to mother, will be available for her children to read. And she sat there listening to them page after page after page as they read into record how awful she was. And she told us, the only way I got through it was this. And she held up this coin that said, 
you have unsurpassable worth. She said, I just held this coin and stared at it. While they were reading everything bad that I'd done, I knew that who I was was this. My goodness, I thought it was just a $20 cool Christmas gift. But there was still something missing. And we walked along and we, we figured out that, yeah, they were, the kids, they, their worth and value, that was cool. Being loved unconditionally, that was great. But one thing, something seemed to be missing. It was like a two-legged stool that didn't stand up very well. And we stumbled on this, and it was a verse that we stumbled upon that, that really helped us start seeing something because we realized there was another group of people in the past that you could tell them all day, like, no, no, Jesus died for you. It's good. Come on over. Uh, well, we know that you don't fit in everywhere else or this religion really hasn't brought you in, but you know it's good now. And there was struggle. There were struggles because some of them became Christians and they accepted that and then another group would come in and they're like, well, you know, not so much. Well, even, even to the point that one of the guys that taught these people, he came and he taught him and said, Jesus loves you and all the good things in Acts 2.38 and did all the right stuff. And then another group of people showed up in town and he went, no, nah, I really hadn't been hanging out with them. Nope, no, I haven't been hanging out. They're over, yeah, oh, I don't know, I don't, but when that group would leave town, he'd go back and say, yep, I love you, and it was no wonder that that group that he taught about Jesus was all of a sudden going, what's up, it's nothing's different, it's nothing different, we're still treated differently, even though you've preached this good news to us. And we went, that's what a lot of our friends feel like. That's what makes them, when they want to go to a church, they don't, it doesn't work. I've listened to their hearts. I've learned more from my friends on the street than I ever did in seminary learning about God. They, they've taught me so many things about spiritual connection. I can promise you, I've never laid under a bridge at night wondering if I was going to get shot. Wondering what was, where I was going to eat. I've, I've seen my friends, we serve a big meal every Thursday night to over 100 street kids each Thursday night. And we usually have leftovers. It's amazing. And so these young folks have a box of leftovers in their hands. And I see some kids come up late and they missed it. The meal's already gone. They're standing. Now this person's standing there with food. That's their next meal. It's their last meal. They don't know what breakfast will look like beyond that meal that leftover. But here comes a friend who was late, and without hesitation, they go, here, eat this. Here, this is it. Eat. Now, they have just given out, I mean, this morning, we had a food pantry drive here at, at the pine tree. How many of you would have brought all of your food? Be honest. Raise your hand if you'd have brought every stitch of food in your house and knew you didn't have any money to buy tomorrow's food. I wouldn't. My mama didn't raise no fool. I wouldn't, but my friend, I watched give away their whole pantry. Jesus said, sell everything you have and follow me. And he went away with his head down. I would be the head down guy walking away. Not because I'm bad. I just don't know if I have, I don't know whatever that is. And it, yeah, that's belonging. I mean, that's, that's love and unconditional love. But what my friend gave in that box 
was more than food. What we figured out, or starting to figure out, is my friend, when they gave away that box of food, was telling that person, you belong right here. You belong right here. And because you belong, eat. You belong, which became our next coin. A coin that simply says, you belong. Paul faced this kind of a dilemma in Ephesians, the verse that we read. I want to read from the uh, CEB version. And it, I'm going to, just going to walk through this and then we'll finish up. It says, he says, So remember that once you were Gentiles by physical descent, who were called uncircumcised by Jews who are physically circumcised. Now, I don't have to be too graphic because Paul was just really graphic. That's what separated them? That's it. You were, I mean, we think we're, we think the things that we think separate people, that was it. He said, you Gentiles by physical descent, being uncircumcised. That's it. Now, I don't want to know how they checked. I have no idea. I don't like, did they have a checking station at their churches? And I was not going to sign up for that job. But that was it. I mean, which room would you guys designate here at Pine Tree? Welcome. Step in here. Jody. No, Jody's like, I'm not working at Pine Tree. Uh-uh. Not my job. Not my, not, I'm not going to. That was it, though. So Paul started right there. It's like, and don't you imagine they just went, wow, really? I mean, he, they, they, they could have come up with a thousand other things, but Paul went right to it and said, really, it's this, right? And it's so crazy that, you don't really want to check. You just get to say, I bet they're not. Oh, they're not circumcised. I mean, I don't know what, what did those conversations sound like? Well, you know, you know, I like them, but they're not circumcised. It would be a weird sermon to start with. Remember who he's talking to? He's talking to these Gentiles. You remember when you were like that? Still am. Which label do you put in there? Do you remember when you were like that before you fit in? Have you ever felt that way? Did anybody ever go to seventh grade? You felt that way. Did anybody move to a new town? Yeah, you felt that. You know what it feels like to be that person who went, yeah, I don't know. And to walk in and go, I don't know if I'm going to belong there very good. It may have happened on those front doors at one time. It may have happened when you walked in and you said, hope nobody knows. I'm not circumcised. Well, you maybe didn't say that, but that feeling. Uh, so, and this is the, I like to read Paul as like he's kind of telling them, you remember this? I don't think that Paul literally means this. He's being a little sarcastic. Paul had a great way of, because the guy that told them, you know, didn't eat with them. Remember he stepped in and said, hey, Peter, what you're doing is not right. You can't eat with them when the Jews aren't here and then not eat them when the Jews. That was Paul. So Paul could get in their face a little bit. So he's been a little sarcastic, I think, a little digging it in a little more. He says, the Jews who are physically, he says, at that time, at that time, you were without Christ. I do not believe for one minute Paul thought that Christ was like, I can't look at them. They haven't been circumcised. I think he was like, but the way you knew and what your life was about, you didn't even have Christ. That's how they were taught. 
That's, that's what they were taught, that they, without that thing, they didn't have Christ. And also, he's like, the Christ hadn't emerged, but you were without Christ. You were aliens. You, were, you didn't belong. You were, like, so strange. You weren't citizens. You remember those feelings? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I hoped seventh grade would end quick. I didn't know what I was going to do. Guys, you know what the news in Colorado is right now? We had a nine-year-old commit suicide. Nine. Nine years old. Nine. Remember when we didn't fit in? You were aliens rather than citizens of Israel, strangers to the covenants of God's promise. In this world, you had no hope and no God. Think of the world that you live in. I don't know if you say it's an East Texas world or what the world, the world you live in right now. Could, how would you feel if you knew there were people, neighbors, that felt like in this world where you operate, where you go to church, where you go to school, where you work, where you're retired, where you fish, where you hunt, in this world there are people that feel like they have no hope and no God. And the hardest part is, what if we helped create that feeling? Not intentionally, but just by who we are. That people felt they have no hope and no God. And then Paul quickly says, but now. Thanks to Christ. You who are once so far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. All of a sudden you belong. Christ is our peace. He made Jews and Gentiles into one group. His body broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He broke that down. There was a division, and he broke it down. He made us one group. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one new person out of the two groups, making peace. He reconciled them both as one body by the cross, which ended hostility to God. I love this version because of that last little bit. A lot of the versions will say he ended hostility. Well, yay. Hostility. It does, catch the word. You, he ended the hostility to God. If I've got hostility to you, where does the hostility come from? You? No, me. So this says that Christ ended the hostility, the barrier, the wall that divided us was like hostility to God. That was making us to God. And Christ said, that wall's gone. That wall is gone. Hostility's gone. When he came, he announced the good news of peace to you who are far away from God to those who, and to those who are near. We both have access to the Father through Christ the Spirit. No longer as strangers and aliens. Rather, you're fellow citizens and you belong to God's household. Paul was on to something um, now, our science and world has, has figured this out. At Dry Bones, we, just, we came up with this idea based on this, this type of scripture. It says that we are freely extended beyond our familiar boundaries in order to form relationships that reveal the God-given, unsurpassable worth of all evolved. We hope to create intersections where people from different walks of life cross paths who would not normally meet. Here, everyone belongs. Pool halls, street corners, hanging out. Anything, our, whatever our familiar boundaries, we try to extend those. And we want everybody to know one thing. When you're here, you belong. We just knew it felt right. We just knew it was like 
we can, we can change the title to Christian, but they still felt like Gentiles. And they still saw us as Jews in that sense. We had to figure out how to get rid of those barriers, and that was only through Christ. And the way we engineered that is we realized that we engineer things all the time in our lives to engineer people in and engineer people out. Places that you sit and then places you can't sit. We have a camping ban in Denver that says you can't lay down on the ground. Well, technically you can lay down unless you're in the place where it says you can't sit or lie down. But if you lie down and put a blanket over you, now you're creating shelter, so now you're camping, so now you get an $80 ticket. If you just lay down in an area that you can actually lay down in with nothing on you, you're okay. But as soon as you take your coat off and put it on you, now you're creating shelter, so now you're camping, and now you get a ticket. You don't belong. You don't belong. And that's the message. But does that matter? Does that matter? Dr. Karen Hall says... Um, a sense of belonging is a human need. That's enough to stop right there, isn't it? If I said, would it be shocking to you if I said, oxygen is a human need? Would you go, I never knew that. And then I say, okay, everybody hold their breath for 15 minutes. It'd be like the Valley Dry Bones in here. Belonging is not a human desire. It's not a human, I'd be cool if I had it. It's a human need. We have astronauts that stayed so long in the space station that had a twin brother, identical twin brother. Their DNA was formerly a whole lot alike. Now they're figuring out. He spent so much time in the space station, his DNA changed. They don't know why. We know what happens when we incarcerate folks in segregation, don't we? We've been starting here. Unfortunately, this has been a place that we've learned how to experiment and figure out that when you put a human being by themselves most of the day, most every day for so long, they go crazy. They may not have been crazy in their mind when they started, but if you isolate a human long enough, they go crazy. If a baby is born and just set over here, they'll die. Not just from starvation, just from not being held. Belonging is a human need, just like food and shelter. Feeling that you belong is, the mo- is most important in seeing value in life and coping with intensely painful emotions. I think Paul was on to something, wasn't he? I think Paul was on to something that our medical field is figuring out. This is Dr. H- uh, Howard Thurman. He says the core analysis of Jesus is that, a, that, a, that humankind is a child of God. This idea that God is mindful of the individuals is of tremendous importance. In this world, the socially disadvantaged human is constantly given a negative answer to the most important personal questions upon which mental health depends. Who am I and what am I? You may not have phrased the questions in your life that way, but all of us have asked that question. How do I fit in? Who am I? Does it matter? We've all seen that. Paul, after these Gentiles, had the good news, is trying to go, you are part. You belong. I know a lot of society is still telling you you don't fit in, but I'm telling you, you belong. You belong to the household of God. You're a child of God. And telling our friends on the street over and over, you belong. You belong. You belong. You're part of this. You are part of who we are. And so we try to figure out a way to go, how do we teach this? How do we get 
how do we get this idea across to our friends? I found a faith community that, that did this with a, they call it their ethos statement. The how, how we do what we do is as important as what we do statement. How we do this is as important as what we do. Jody, Jody mentioned your, your mission statement here. That's what you want to do here. And that's great. When did Jesus mention his mission statement? Matthew 1 or Matthew 28? Anybody? When does it say go into all the world and preaching the gospel and baptizing them? Is that the first thing in the book? Nope. Last thing. So the whole book was how to do it. How you do this. And things like turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. That's the how. How you're going to do this. So how does Pine Tree take these commitments? How do we look in Denver and go, man, I love these kids. How are we going to do this? How we do what we do has to be as important as what we do. You can't just go around and do it and say, well, I'm doing this and do it unethically. You may still accomplish it, but you did it unethically. How we do what we do is just as important. This faith community has an ethos statement. Well, the first thing is, is like describing who's in this room. So what is the makeup of this family? If you started thinking, what is it when I look around? Look around. This one, they talked about married and divorced and single. That's kind of how they described it. They looked around their audience and said, yeah, that, that's pretty good. And they said, it's one family that mingles here. Think about Pine Tree. What would the breakdown be in your mind to be able to say, but here it's one family. That's how we do it. The next one, he says, uh, what in this room could cause us to be a little contentious with each other? What might make me sit over here and make sure I don't sit over here? What might me go, I ain't going to, I, I'm not going what is it, because we deal with it every day, what is it that might be a little contentious here because the answer to that is we've all got to give a little here. I know I'm going to have to give a little because I want to be in this room. I want to belong here. I don't want everybody to belong here. So I, to own this, how I'm going to do it, I'm going to give a little. So whatever it is that might be contentious, I don't care if it's old, new, perceived, imaginary, whatever, whatever gathers in this room, I got to give a little here. I don't do methamphetamines. Aren't you glad? But I hang out with a lot of people who, that do. A lot of people. I don't shoot heroin. I have a lot of friends that do. Now, I can sit there and say, you know, if you would just stop just this and just this, but that's a little contentious. I got to give a little. I know it's not going to end today, but I want to be in that room with my friends. I hate to tell you, that could exist in this room. But everybody that comes here goes, I know that when I get to church, when I get in this, this room, it's one family, and we're all going to give a little here. Can you imagine what the contentions of this fake statement was? They were uh, conservative or liberal here. We all got to give a little here. Whoa, that might be enough for this room. I don't know. 
There are also things that make people not want to come here because they don't think they're going to fit in. Now, I don't know you, but I know that's a true statement. There are folks in this community that, that will not come here because they're like, I don't fit in. I'm too big. I'm too small. I don't this, I, don't, I just don't fit. So whatever that is, there's room for us all here. Everybody fits. There's room for us all here. Doubt and believe here, we can all receive here. How does that... Have you ever talked... I, I don't know. I just don't even know if I know about God. That's all right. You, you can still receive here. Jody's going to have something when he talks. Or maybe just a song makes you happy. You can receive here. Wouldn't that be cool to be able to just tell people it doesn't matter? Doubt or believe it. That's not about receiving. You can receive here. That, you, you, you belong. Uh, do you think people in this town feel like they have labels? That they've been labeled a whatever or whatever? Yeah. We, we, we're really good at labeling because it helps us to figure out where we... But what if whatever label you have, one of our friends... They just feel like they're just homeless, they're just, you know, gutter punk homeless kids. That's the label they're giving, useless, worthless. Mm -mm. So we're like, I wish I wanted to tell you this, whatever label brought you here, there's no hate here. There's no hate. And these are not, I mean, I can feel and read this room to go, I know that's true. What if you just said it? What if it's the way you practice? If you're driving down the road and you see someone hanging out on the street corner and they're and like, I don't know what's going on, or I don't know what that's it. But what I learned at church is there's no hate here. It will not go to hate. Because that's how we do it at, at Pine Tree. We don't hate. They belong. So whatever labels people see is not accepted. There's no hate here. What excludes people from serving here? And that's, I've already talked to Jody enough. I know that's a very important question to the elders and leadership. We want to make sure everybody feels like they can be here and do things. So whatever it is that, that you don't feel, this faith community here, and it's hard, and I'm not saying to jump into this, but theirs was woman or man here, everyone can here. It was whatever their community felt like kept people from not being able to serve. They just like, we want everybody to be able to serve. And so they just identified it. You can serve here. Jew or Gentile, everyone can here. There you go. That one's simple, right? Jew or Gentile, everybody can here. Uh, a hard one for our world. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. How cool would that be to stand at this place right here? Just by this, I think I've heard a little bit about this place. And just say, I want you to know something. Whatever your race here, every, for everyone, grace here. It fits, doesn't it? It fits. And then it says, in imitation of the ridiculous love, and this is where dry bones kicked in, in imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live in love without labels. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for me, for all of us, let us live in love without labels. Do you belong? metaphorically there may be people in this room that have been holding their belonging breath for years they show up sit in these chairs and don't feel like they belong it could happen in a family it could happen in a marriage it could happen between friends 
I know what happens in seventh grade. It can happen in high school. It can happen to nine-year-olds. We know what happens to street kids. We really came to believe and, and understand that a sense of belonging fundamentally changes humanity. Dr. Howard Thurman says one instance, one instance of someone saying you belong can change their mental health, can change their outcome of whether they live or die. Our Savior brought great news. A big part of that great news, Paul told the Gentiles, you belong. You belong here. Your commitments that I've read since July, over and over, I came, I said, I just want them to realize one message. Tell the world they belong. Have these great commitments, but how you do what you do is make sure that people, when they walk through the door, they know they belong. Find a way to say it so that when you leave here in your mind, you're looking for someone to say, hey, you belong here. Think about when you met your spouse. Yeah, you love, but then you've got that feeling of we belong together. You can't even really identify it. But Paul said once it's not there, we know it's not there. Whatever, you're, whatever you have, let it belong to God. Let God realize that you belong. So as we wrap up, I want you to think today, what is... What is it that made me feel like I belong here? What is it that we could do to change this church that if street kids walk through that door, oh, and you would know it, if street kids walk that door, that the first thing that I would be thinking is, I want them to belong here. Whatever your blank is, you belong here. Just like Paul said, you're part of the household of God. Welcome. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. Jody said that there's a tradition you guys have here of the shepherds that gather around the room. And I started thinking, that's because they want you to belong. And so today, if you heard something or think it's so maybe you don't feel like you belong or maybe you want to belong and you want to see one of these folks, they'll be around to pray with you. And I want to thank you because one thing I've noticed as soon as I got here is it's pretty easy to belong here. Nobody snubbed me. So you kind of do this. Make it what you are everywhere. You're going to leave today. You're going to leave and go somewhere else. Make it this week to say, I wonder if they feel like they belong with me. How can I change the way I do school lunch so that the person that doesn't normally feel like they belong at my table belongs? How can I do work lunch? How can I do my own dinner table? Matter of fact, how can I do with that guy that I see, that woman that I see in the mirror when I wake up that feels like they don't fit anywhere? How can I say, hey, you, you're a child of God. You belong. Don't let this world determine it. Let our Savior determine it. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for 
your love and your continued blessing. Thank you for sending Christ to be uh, among us, to be seen as someone that um, is just like us, to be known and to have to try to fit in. Thank you for Jesus showing us that we all belong to you and breaking down any barrier that keeps us from belonging. Father, give us courage today to open our hearts in ways to let everyone know that they belong. In Christ we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. As the mountain.